0: Do you know your personality type? The internet is full of personality tests of all types, shapes, and sizes. Knowing your personality type is more than just a fun thing to do. It can be incredibly useful in your everyday life and business. Understanding why you behave and think the way you do will help you optimize your own productivity and effectiveness. Today's guest, Doris Fulgrave, is a Myers-Briggs Master Practitioner, an accredited coach, and licensed to facilitate a number of other psychological type models. After 10 years in leadership development and preparing expat couples for their international assignments, she now works with individuals, business owners, and couples who want to feel more connected to themselves and each other. I love personality tests, and I can't wait to dig into this fun and interesting topic with Doris to learn how to make your personality work for you. Are you ready? Let's do it. You're listening to the Workshop Weekly Podcast, the show where no dream is too big and no topic is too small. Around here, we believe that taking imperfect action rules, so we're creating space for you to dive in and fast-track your success one workshop at a time. Now, refill your coffee cup, grab your notebook, and get ready to join in on your weekly training, listen to meaningful conversation, and learn from industry experts. Here's your host, Kelly Lawson. Hello, Doris. Welcome to the show. I am really excited to chat with you today about all things personality types. How are you?
1: I'm so good and so happy to be here. Thank you for having me, Kelly.
0: Well, thank you for coming. And I think we need to start with some of the most foundational questions here because you are a Myers-Briggs Master Practitioner. It's a bit of a mouthful, but I got it out. And you really spend your days helping people find how their personality types impact how they go about their day-to-day lives. So. Can we start by finding out how you came to become a Myers Briggs master practitioner and do all the other things that you do so amazingly?
1: Sure. So, in very broad strokes, I got a degree in human resources management and worked as an executive assistant in my 20s. And that was in Germany, the UK, and Spain. And then in my 30s, I picked up a husband and we moved (laughs) to Mexico and we moved to the States. And here I worked as an expat coach and corporate trainer. And then in my 40s, I had a little creative detour and did lettering and calligraphy for a few years. And I still have those classes up online on Skillshare, actually, if anybody wants to check them out. But I came back to coaching last year because even during those creative years, all I talked about was type with my people. All I talked about were their relationships. So eventually, I just said, you know what, this is obviously what the universe wants me to do. And I went back to it. I got certified in the Myers-Briggs, I think it might have been 2008. And I became a master practitioner in 2010, I think, somewhere around there. And then in 2012, I got certified in the interstrength method and the neuroscience of personality as well. So I just really love the theory and better understanding people.
0: Well, I'm already intrigued and really interested to know what your personality type is, especially given the fact that it sounds like you had a very corporate background, turned to calligraphy and art, turned to psychological theory. So what can you tell us about sort of these personality foundations, maybe using yourself as an example to give us a better idea? Absolutely. So I've always been
1: interested in people and communication, and I love a good model or framework that explains why we behave or think the way we do. And like I've mentioned, I've moved around quite a bit in adapting to living and working in several countries. So broadly knowing what to expect and then filling that in with my own experience has been really helpful. And of course, as an expat, the first kind of differences that I became sensitive to were cultural differences. And then the cross-cultural training that I did with the expat couples, helping them adapt to living and working abroad, were very helpful to a point. But then I worked with so many couples that I noticed how some people have an easier time adapting than others. So obviously Mm -hmm. the cultural differences, they explain a lot, but they don't explain everything. So that's when I added personality type into the mix. And then I also did some qualitative research independently into how our cultural upbringing influences the expression of our personality types. And so ever since then, especially if I'm in a type community, I introduce myself as a German ENFJ. So I was born and raised in Germany, which culturally has a very STJ culture. If that means nothing to your listeners, that's fine. So basically the stereotypes are there for a reason, right? Germans like things punctual. Germans like things organized. So there is a personality type, kind of a modal type that goes along with the culture that tells you what is acceptable, that informs the values of the nation, so to speak. And so an ENFJ here in America would look probably slightly different than an ENFJ from Germany, although we still have, you know, a lot of traits in common. Very interesting. Yeah, we are so complex. Kelly? (laughs) (laughs) This is just two lenses through which to look at who we are.
0: Absolutely. And I can only imagine how COVID has impacted all of that as well, because I think that, I don't know, I'll let you do the talking, but I feel like that's definitely impacted us in ways that we probably don't even know yet. But why don't you talk a little bit about what it is that you do day to day, like how you take these skills and this knowledge and this certification that you have and use it for helping your clients? I use it in my life. I'm on record as
1: saying that type saved my marriage. For example, I now know my husband isn't ticking me off on purpose. It's just the way his brain is wired and vice versa. He now knows that I'm not trying to be difficult for him. It's just we're different. So we've been using this type non-judgmental language to help us get on the same page again faster. I also use type in my business and on my business. So in my practice, I work with individuals who are ready to let go of other people's expectations and start embracing who they are at their core. This might be people who are going through a transition or who feel unsure of where they are now, where they want to go next. So generally my clients have a curiosity of self-discovery and just an interest in greater self-awareness. And then I also work with couples who want to feel more connected. And specifically, I offer a premarital prep program for those who are about to tie the knot, but obviously also happy to talk to established couples and using what I call your love profiles, where we put the type results side by side and really compare how things come out in the relationship and then how to bridge the gaps. And then on my business, which I think might be most interesting for your listeners as well, it's knowing who I am and how I like to work that helps me make the business decisions that bring my business forward, that are aligned with my values and that are aligned with my strengths. So for example, I'm no longer pursuing any social media marketing strategies because I'm just more comfortable chatting with people and establishing relationships. And those then hopefully lead to a referral-based business.
0: Amazing. I mean, I think that anybody listening right now is like, I need this knowledge. And I know for myself, probably a year or two ago, I came upon the Enneagram and I took a little assessment on the internet, which I'm sure is probably not qualified by the actual standards, much like you were saying with the Myers-Briggs and we'll get into that. But what it told me about myself did not seem too far from the truth. It seemed frighteningly accurate. And I liked that it was a spectrum. It wasn't necessarily like, this is who you are. And so I also got my husband to take it and a group of friends to take it. And it was incredibly insightful to know sort of those kind of inner workings of each other's personalities. It explained a lot. And I think to your point, it helped each of us have a little more grace for how The other approaches life. And for that reason, I think this is very valuable work that you're doing. I really appreciate that you're here today. So let's talk a little bit more about the specific personality types that you look into.
1: First of all, thank you for mentioning the Enneagram because I know it's very popular and it resonates with so many people. I'm not an expert in in the Enneagram and I'm not going to pretend I am. Just for those of you who feel like you know your Enneagram and kind of that's enough, quote unquote, that's great. The Enneagram and Myers-Briggs or psychological type, the way that Carl Jung intended it, they're looking at two separate things, right? They're two different things. Again, like I said, Enneagram would be a third lens. So you have the culture that you're born into and then the way that uh, psychological type or personality type, the language that I use, is based on Carl Jung's work. He published his theory a 100 years ago. There is a doctor, Dario Nardi, He used to be at UCLA, who puts EEG caps on people and can actually show you how people with different personality types use their brains in different ways. So it's not just a theory, but it's how we use our brain. So it's very much the cognitive functions of the neuronal connections of these activities and behaviors that we have every day. The Enneagram, the way I understand it, is looking at wounds where our soul needs to heal or where the ego has split off of the soul or something, right? So it's looking at a different facet of who we are as this holistic, lovely, complex living system. So I just want to clarify, Enneagram is looking at one thing and that is super helpful for a lot of people. Myers-Briggs is looking at a different thing. So we're not trying to compare the two. We're not trying to overlay the two because they're different models and they may not map one-to-one. Absolutely, Just that off the bat. And then what I like to do, the process that I take my clients through and that, you know, the process that I keep coming back to every day as well is based on, coincidentally, my three values, which are curiosity, love, and growth. In other words, find out who you are, make peace with it, And then integrate all those superpowers and not so superpowers and learn from them. So what I thought I would do in this little time and the workshop that we have here is give you an overview of four entrepreneurial types that I've just recently learned about in a type conference, actually, this weekend. It's just going to be a brief overview. Obviously, there are 16 personality types the model that I'm using, but I'm going to just give you an overview of four broader patterns because otherwise (laughs) we'd still be here tomorrow. So this is just meant to be like a little taste. And then with my clients, obviously I go a lot deeper and we find the whole type descriptions and everything. Okay. So looking at the four types and I'm going to read them to you, there's going to be a handout available to you if you want to go pause the recording here and go find it if you haven't already, or if you have it in front of you, you can read along. These names are based on Marky Reed's research. She's a fellow ENFJ. She's also in the type community and she's a book coming out called Entrepreneurial Styles. So just maybe keep that on your radar for the future. So the first type she's talking about, she calls the efficient structure entrepreneur. And if you know your four letter MBTI code, these are the TJ types or people with extroverted thinking preferences. In general, they have a corporate energy and build businesses around systems, logic, organizing and putting order on the environment around them. The strengths are setting goals and structured with structured growth plans. These types tend to have all the credentials and come in kind of a classic logistical manager and strategic visionary flavors. The second type is the precise systems entrepreneur, and those are the TP types or those who prefer introverted thinking. In general, they have a startup energy, they build businesses around solving complex problems using innovative approaches, and they like disrupting their environment. So we have effective structure, putting structure on the environment, precise system, disrupting the environment. Strengths are spotting new trends, sales, and negotiation. These types like to have an impact and they tend to focus on tangible results and reinvention. The third type is the empathetic harmony entrepreneur. Those are the FJ types or people who prefer extroverted feeling, of which that's where I'm in. So in general, we have a caretaking energy and are happiest in people-centered businesses where we can support, mentor, and advise others. Strengths are communication and relationships. So building community, creating models to reach ambitious goals. These types like to have connections. So networking and loyalty are important. And last but not least, the personal authenticity entrepreneur. That's the FP types or people who prefer introverted feeling. In general, they have a very passionate energy and build businesses where they can alleviate suffering of the underserved communities, live and work aligned with strong personal values strengths are deeply connecting with and responding to the needs of others and igniting their passions. And these types like to have a mission, and especially the NFP types are likely to have mystical or esoteric aspects to their business.
0: Very interesting. So for listeners who may not necessarily be familiar with the acronyms, TJ, and I don't even remember them myself, do you mind just giving a quick overview of what those acronyms are and what they mean, just so that anybody who's feeling a bit lost right now might be brought up to speed.
1: Sure, that's why I gave the description of the strengths and the kind of businesses that people of these preferences build. But to explain the letters, T stands for thinking and F stands for feeling. People with a T in their type code like to make decisions on a rational, sorry, they're both rational processes, but the people with a T in their type code like to make decisions based on logical analysis Mm -hmm. and objective information. And people with an F in their type code, like rational process, like to make decisions based on personal values and harmony. Mm -hmm. So that is reflected in the kinds of businesses that they create in the kinds of products maybe or clients that they best work with. So the empathetic harmony entrepreneur and the personal authenticity entrepreneur are both more likely to find fulfillment and joy in people-centered businesses where the effective structure entrepreneur and the precise systems entrepreneur obviously can also, you know, work quite happily in teams and with people and for people, but the nature of their business or the product is probably a little more goal-oriented, task-oriented. It's more likely to be a thing than a service. Right. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, it does make sense. It makes sense to me. So I think it probably makes sense to listeners too then.
1: Of those four, what type do you think you fall into? Which type of entrepreneur description resonated with you?
0: So it's a really good question because for me, it depends. I would definitely say I'm more introverted and people oriented for sure. I think that everything that I do is rooted in helping others in some way. I'm a photographer for a living. This podcast is just my way of helping other entrepreneurs, specifically female creative entrepreneurs in the creative space, navigate their way through business, knowing that they probably don't have business degrees. And even if they did, maybe it's dated or whatever. So I think I definitely would skew in that direction. However, day to day, I don't know. I wanted to ask you like how much of this is based on your mood because (laughs) some days I'm a very feeling person and other days I just need to get things done. And so I think overall, probably the description that resonates most with me was the last one that you spoke to, but I'm not sure. Right.
1: The personal authenticity. And you bring up a very good point because that is one of the comments I hear a lot when I tell someone that I work with personality type, they say, oh yeah, I took a test. Three years ago, but I don't remember the letters or, oh yeah, I took a test in college, but I changed. And this is a sign of the times, I guess, because the way that personality type was intended is that it is a model. It's like an organizing principle around which we as people make meaning of the world. So Carl Jung back in the day stipulated that we come into the world with a predisposition to use our brain in a certain way. Mm -hmm. And what the best fit or core type preferences, these four letters that are an abbreviation for a wealth of knowledge, what they describe is the starting point, how you come into the world. By definition, a starting point doesn't change. It doesn't mean that you go out of the world in the same way that you came in, that the letters may stay the same. But obviously, the longer you live, the more experiences you have, the more jobs you've had, in my case, the more countries you've lived in or the more relationships you've had, obviously you build experiences on top. And so you learn to also behave and act and use those other functions. You have two functions kind of at the top that you use a lot, that you have the most conscious access to. And then the older you get, there's this inner drive that Jung called the individuation process where you want to become whole. So this is where we see the prudent accountant who has never taken a risk in his life, all of a sudden hit 45 and buy a red sports car, right? It's a cliche, but it's a easy way to think of. We do what we are good at for the first half of our life. And there is this power in our psyche that makes us seek out experiences that allow us to become a more rounded individual. So when you were saying, is it depending on the mood, I hope that kind of speaks to it. It's not that you can't do the other things. We can all do everything. But the point of knowing your core type preferences is to know which has the least energy cost for you. Because if you, for example, somebody with a personal authenticity, like an introverted feeling, which is the valuing, the things have to resonate, things have to have meaning, things have to be pure, ideally. If I were to put you in an accountancy office and ask you to put data into a spreadsheet all day,
0: what would that feel like? Yeah, not good. (laughs) You know, (laughs) it
1: doesn't mean that you can't do it. You could if you are in the circumstance of you have to pay bills or whatever it is, you would do it. But there are different types who are more prone Or it's easier for them to pay attention to details. It's easier for them to have a routine. In fact, they thrive on routines. They love uh, knowing what the day brings ahead of them. Mm -hmm. So knowing your type, again, having this awareness, the curiosity, first of all, to find out, you know what, what does make me tick? Like, where are the patterns? Looking back over my life, all the experiences that I've had, where was I happiest? And then from that, you find out what your innate strengths are. And then using those are just going to make life feel like it flows so much easier.
0: Yeah, I mean, it makes a lot of sense. I love that you used sort of the midlife crisis analogy, because I think that a lot of people can relate to that and understand what that feels like and may not have described it the way that you just did. And I think for a lot of us too, especially in the creative space, we spend a lot of time making little changes. I think many people who listen to this podcast did not start out as entrepreneurs, but somehow found themselves in a space where they're trying to figure it all out, right? And so I think that you've got the perfect audience for what you just described. So in keeping with becoming whole or basically trying to achieve wholeness, (laughs) which I guess what I will say is that it entered my brain as like a midlife crisis, although I know that's not exactly what it is. But just for in the interest of, I guess, keeping it simple, I look at that and I think, well, I've had a series of midlife crises throughout my life. I started out with a psychology degree, which I'm a little embarrassed to admit right now. And then I went on to be an occupational therapist. Then I joined a tech startup. Then I became a photographer. Then I tried my own tech startup that failed miserably. Then I went back to photography. So I guess I'm just curious about what that says about someone's personality type who makes lots of little changes like that.
1: I think that's wonderful. And I'm not going to put words in your mouth. If you want to call them little crises, that's your prerogative. To me, as the European, your friendly, you know, neighborhood European person living in <laughs> Brooklyn right now, it sounds as if. There are these cultural expectations at play where, especially if I may go on a little soapbox about social media right now, we are being presented with an image of what life and success is supposed to look like. And I'm at a place where I no longer buy into it. Sorry. And this is the PG version because I can also use other words to describe my feelings about (laughs) what's going on in society at the moment, but I'm not going to do that. Can we just take a deep breath and acknowledge, and I'm again talking to myself here, in my 20s and 30s, I really, really wanted to fit in so badly. I had a few business and job and priority changes myself, but mine were kind of linked to changing countries as well. So I think there was like a reason for it or something. But I think we come into this world pure and Free and open. And then we get these expectations put on us by society, by our parents, by our peers, by people we admire who we think we should be just like them. And it's just again, acknowledging how we are different and honoring our own preferences and realizing that we can play to our own strengths, but that might look different than what it looks like on Instagram.
0: Yeah. I love that you said that because. I think pre-social media, that was still happening. We're being influenced by the people all around us. Then enter a global pandemic, add social media. And it's like, we're just taking it in with a fire hose now. And that's got to impact the way we perceive ourselves and our own success. And I love that you just said that. Let's all delete Instagram.
1: (laughs) I mean, okay, (laughs) again, everybody do their thing. So that is something that I really, really struggled with for my business, right? Because everybody tells you social media, that's where your clients hang out. That's where you got to go. While I was doing calligraphy and lettering, it made sense because, I mean, let's stick with Instagram. It's a very visual platform. Instagram for you as a photographer makes sense. For me as a coach, it does not make so much sense because coaching, the service that I offer is so personal. And of course, I could be the 15,000th person to put up an inspirational quote, but I think that's rubbish, especially since I know that the algorithm is only showing it to 2% of my followers. And so it's a waste of time to put hours into creating this lovely Canva graphic that you don't even get to see. So that's why I'd rather talk to people. And the decision for me was to delete Facebook altogether I'm still on Insta, but private, non-curated, just every day, hey, look at my sandwich kind of stuff. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> the real stuff. Yeah, not for the business
0: things. I love that. So you have some questions that entrepreneurs can ask themselves.
1: Yeah. If we want to have a conversation about your business, that would be fine, if not just for people to think about themselves. So what is going on in your business right now?
0: I'll answer these really quickly. I don't want to bore people with my life. But I would say for sure in my business right now, I'm in a massive transition. I think leading up to COVID, I felt the transition coming and then it was accelerated by COVID. So what that looks like for me right now is a significant reduction in photography services. And instead, I'm spending more of my time well, doing this podcast. And I also have a couple of digital courses teaching photography skills. Sort of like you, but not on you. To me, I'm hosting those myself. So that's the sort of transition that I've found myself in. Whether or not COVID caused it or not, I think it was coming anyway.
1: I hear you on the online, the platform, and with courses, are
0: they hosted or, or live? Yeah, they're hosted. But inside one of the courses, I do live sessions every month.
1: Oh, that's lovely A great hybrid. And then what's the most important thing to you about what you do?
0: I mean, I think it's all rooted in helping others. And I think it's all influenced by social media. So in part, I think it comes from scrolling social media and going, you know, I could really help these people with their photography. It's so easy. I can help. I know I can. It's easy for me to do. Right now in my beginner photography program, there's over 5,200 enrollees, which gets me excited because I think like I've reached that many people. That's crazy. And I have to remind myself of that once in a while, because sometimes the day to day work, I mean, sometimes the day to day work isn't sexy and it doesn't feel good a lot of days because, you know, I'm doing some bookkeeping or whatever those things that don't get me excited. But then when I stop for a second and go, wait a second, 5,200 people have learned how to take better photos because I decided to put it like that fires me up. So what does your business do really well? That's a good question. I don't know. I'm guessing it's the teaching. Is there maybe a community element? Yeah. I feel like this is something that I would rather ask of my students than say it for myself. <laughs> but I hear from my students that the courses are really breakthrough courses for them, especially the beginner one. People go from like having this really confusing machine that they don't know how to use that they spent money on that's discouraging for them to using it really well within like about an hour. So for the most part, I get really positive Feedback there. Like people are amazed that it took so little to get them from confused and stressed and lost to like, oh, that's how you use it. Okay. (laughs) So I think teaching, I think I do teaching really well. I do commercial photography. I think that's a very subjective thing, whether or not I do it well. I tend toward really high key imagery. And I think the photographer's photographer would think that my photos weren't that great, but that's okay. (laughs) I don't care. (laughs) And what keeps you up at night? Well, I recently read a book written by Gay Hendricks called The Big Leap. And he talks inside that book about an upper limit problem. And I think that's just a framework for what keeps me up at night. But I do worry that things will come crashing down and then what? That's a concern that I have. That's probably the biggest one.
1: Can you elaborate a little on that? What's the thing that might come down and then what would that look like when it's down?
0: Okay, so let's say digital course sales stop overnight and they go to nothing. And I've got all these business expenses that I need to take care of. Or let's say that all of the photography services clients dry up, which when COVID happened, that did happen. So now it's very real to know what that feels like. You know, I would have been able to challenge that in the past with like, that is not like, let's think about how realistic that is. But now in my very recent memory, I know how realistic that is. And it did go away like that. You know, the photography industry has suffered greatly from COVID. Many of my photography colleagues, they make a living photographing events. And that's all gone. Right. I mentioned the premarital
1: prep course, to premarital prep coaching that I offer, and I've been talking and establishing relationships and just networking with a lot of wedding planners. Yes. The whole industry was super disrupted. A lot of photographers as well. So just from your answers there, The things that came to my mind that I would like to call out is your one worry about the clients all drying up, keeping you up at night. So that's already happened and look at you still alive and living through it and finding other ways. So the upper limit problem, we were talking about you probably falling into the personal authenticity area with the FP. So there are two flavors in each of the four types because um, the, the four entrepreneur types that I shared are the dominant judging types and they are all balanced with a perceiving function. So either sensing or intuiting. Sensing is a little more tangible. Intuition is a little more intangible, happy with ideas and, you know, more pattern oriented. It would be a guess that you maybe have NFP preferences and a characteristic of people with NFP preferences is that they have loads of ideas and loads of interests and they pursue many, many avenues over, not just over their lifetime, but over the course of a day. Like you can do five things at the time. And if you just had one thing to do, that would probably bore you. So a friend of mine has ENFP preferences and she describes it as a popcorn machine that is always going off and she can't stop it. So the natural inclination of the brain is to come up with ideas and to see possibilities and to see opportunities. And then the challenge becomes which one do we pick? Mm -hmm. And so the introverted feeling there is the balance to all of this is out there, but then how do we decide? And so somebody with NFP preferences will decide by whatever is aligned with their values and what speaks to them at a personal level and what resonates. And somebody with NTP preferences would make a decision based on logical analysis and maybe a framework that they are familiar with or that they can build. I think you just nailed it. So this upper limit problem I don't think there is going to be an upper limit. The fact that what you might be stressing about or what you were saying about bookkeeping and the not so exciting things and stuff, people who have lots of ideas, obviously, when the stress function or when you're in a stressful situation like this COVID would be, you might go into this doomsday thinking because you're usually quite optimistic, I'm guessing, Mm -hmm. or people with these preferences usually are. So you see all the opportunities, but then when there is like a trigger of some kind, you also see all the ways things can go wrong. And so that's where then, again, you can balance that superpower if it's leading you down the dark path by looking at the reality. Hmm. What is actually here? Activate your senses. What can you see, feel, hear, taste, touch, smell? So that is going to help you when you're in bed at night, thinking about all the disaster scenarios, take a breath and actually... Like, what is real? Yes, you no longer have photography clients because there is a pandemic. Mm-hmm. It's not your fault. It's not that your business marketing didn't resonate with anybody. It's just that's the reality of the life that we live in right now. What else can you do? Online courses, you already have two. If you're worried about money coming in, if you're worried about cash flow, the time that you would usually spend going on shoots, maybe you can come up with another course, with another script for what else can you teach? Yeah. How do you know what else to teach? Listen to your students.
0: I think that you're bang on. I love that you described it like a popcorn machine. That is accurate. And I think to be fair, like just to be super transparent, when COVID came along and all of my photography went away and I went, how does that make me feel? I wasn't upset about it. You know, I was kind of excited about it, especially at the onset. I was excited, which feels like a really bad thing to say, but I have a feeling that I'm not the only person who woke up in the morning and everything, like their job, they had to stay home for two weeks, you know, like I wasn't upset about that. I was uh, quite excited to be told to stay home and do nothing for two weeks. It was like the best news. (laughs) Then it went on for over a year and definitely the wind kind of fell out of the sails a little bit. The excitement did dwindle. We are, I think, at this point, many of us feeling very fatigued by all of the restrictions that have become a very familiar part of our lives over the last year. But I love... That you described it like a popcorn machine. That is what it's like. It's like a constant distraction, if nothing else.
1: Yeah. And I mean, again, the invitation is to embrace it. It's who you are. You're good at it. Why not use it to your advantage?
0: (laughs) Yes. Now I'd like to know other, oh, I got to make sure I say this right, NJP. (laughs) Who's your friend who thinks like a popcorn machine? What's her? Oh, ENFP. ENFP. And her name is Carol Linden. And
1: she does type for technical teams. If anybody is in the tech space or at a startup, I'll be happy to put you two in touch. She's amazing.
0: Oh, that's so interesting. See, I would love to know others now that are like-minded that I could follow to see like how are you handling your popcorn machine? <laughs> So you bought a fancy camera or you're thinking about buying one because it's clear to you that there is no shortage of beautiful moments or things in your life that you'd like to capture beautifully. But the record scratches because all the dials and buttons and settings are standing between you and your life in stunning photos. Well, my friend, I have just the fix, the ultimate photography starter kit. This free resource includes a recommended equipment list, quick start checklist, and a beginner's guide to creating natural poses and candid moments to give you the confidence you need to dust off that fancy camera and start documenting your moments so they can last forever. The Ultimate Photography Starter Kit is completely free and it is everything you need to get started. So grab yours today at kellylawson.ca slash starter kit. That's kellylawson.ca slash starter kit. And I can't wait to see your framers in my scroll. I'd be interested to hear your thoughts on how something like a global pandemic may have shifted this because, for example, I would have normally considered myself an introverted person. And just recently, I took a Myers-Briggs test online against your recommendation, but just because I was (laughs) curious. And it actually described me as an extrovert, which really surprised me. That never happened before. I've taken the Myers-Briggs like online version, which I get is not accredited version of it but maybe somewhat of like a little snapshot. And I've never gotten back a result saying that I was an extrovert before.
1: So a lot of things can go into that. And I'm actually trying to pull up if I can find my notes from the conference, because we had actual statistics about how people responded, given their type, to the pandemic. There's a difference between... And tell me if this is too theoretical or if I'm getting too much in the weeds here. But there is a difference between trait theory and type theory. Trait theory is something like the big five or online. There is a test at 16personalities.com, which is actually a trait instrument, and they measure how much of something you have. So they put you kind of on a bell curve and you're either on the middle or kind of on the extremes. Okay. So traits is how much you have. A type instrument is more of a categorizing, like I said, how we use our brains and the cognitive functions that we have access to. So what energizes us, extroversion, introversion, right? The outer world or the inner world, how we process information, the kind of information that we pay attention to, more sensing or more intuiting, how we make decisions, thinking or feeling, which we've discussed earlier. Mm-hmm. So a type instrument is a different beast. Again, the type, it changes in that you evolve and develop, but there is this pattern that you are born with, just like you're always going to get an oak out of an acorn and you're always going to get a pine tree out of a pine cone. So obviously not all oaks look the same, but they have patterns and processes that make them recognizable as oaks. And just like that, similar People with ENFJ preferences, which I have, we all have patterns and use our brains in a way and behave in a way that makes us recognizable around the world, actually, because type transcends culture. It's something that we all have. And I'm just looking at the notes that I have about type and the pandemic. And I want to say they surveyed about 500 people, I think 540. Don't quote me on that. I might even be able to put a link in the show notes for people who want to go deeper because I think this presentation is available online. So the words that were most commonly chosen to describe the emotion was anxiety, sadness, and opportunity. The word themes, again, the largest was anxious, concerned, worried, fearful. The second one was uncertain, confused, chaotic. And the third one was opportunity, hopeful, optimistic. And the people with an introversion preference were more likely to be anxious and worried than people with an extroversion preference. And people with an extroversion preference were more likely to feel restricted and confined.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So to your point, you think of yourself as an introvert or someone with introversion preferences. Now you came out as extroverted. A lot of introverts or people with introversion preferences, I don't like to reduce it to the noun, right? Because it's not that you are this, it's you use this or you have it. Okay. So people with introversion preferences tend to think of themselves, right? We're overwhelmed after too much interacting with others. Mm-hmm. But even a hermit needs a crowd to get away from, right? So there's still this human aspect of loneliness that comes in. Those are two different things. So introversion is not about being shy or is not about being reticent. It's that your psychic energy gets depleted if you are interacting with other people too much. And there are structures in the brain that actually support that. So people with extraversion preferences, our dopamine receptors are longer, which means we need more stimulus in order to reach that saturation or to get that oomph to feel engaged. And for people with introversion preferences, so the dopamine receptor is not as large, so they don't need as much input to feel saturated, for example.
0: Interesting. Interesting to me that you said even a hermit needs a crowd to run away from. So do you think that it's an absence of an abundance of human interaction that's sort of caused a shift like this one? An absence of abundance. I like that phrase.
1: So I have extroversion preferences and I know that I like a variety of interactions and I know that I need I need input. I need hugs. Let's not even get to the whole tactical thing. Like I haven't hugged people in it so long. But first of all, my husband and I take the COVID crisis very seriously. So we have been mainly in our apartment and we have not been going outside that much. And so he, poor dear, was confronted with all my need for interaction. And he was the sole focus of my attention. Usually I spread the attention around and I meet friends and, you know, I have other ways to put it. I have more energy and I get depressed if I don't find ways to live the energy and get fed back from other people. So he, with his introversion preferences, he used to go to the office and work all day and come back tired. And he was working now still interacting half the day over video conferences, but he's less tired because he has more time to just be by himself. I get tired if I'm by myself. He gets energized if he is by himself, if that makes sense. I think everybody is a little different. This is a very long way of saying for some people, I'm sure being in lockdown or going into quarantine or having the ultimate excuse to say no to social engagements Was welcome, especially if you're in the United States. This culture skews so heavily towards extroversion that you can feel guilty for not wanting to go out. Mm -hmm. People will make you feel like you're missing out or something. So to have this quote unquote excuse might have actually been a relief for them. But yes, other introverts, just because you have introversion preferences doesn't mean that you're antisocial and that you don't need human interaction.
0: Absolutely. That was a long winded way. (laughs) No, I love that. So, You talk about making your personality work for you and sort of recognizing stress triggers and how to get out of them. And I'm sure that this applies to entrepreneurship in the workplace. So do you want to talk a little bit to that? Yes, let's
1: round us out with some actual tips. First of all, I'd like to say, whatever your type preferences are, you're not alone. And whatever your type preferences are, you can run successful businesses. All types have successful businesses. All types have blind spots or common kind of developmental areas where they might get stuck and we all have to play with what we have. Basically, if you remember nothing else, you are enough just as you are. I love that. So your type preferences is just going to predispose you to, again, processing information in a certain way and solving problems in a certain way. And like I said, when we use our strengths The innate strengths that we come in with those first two functions that we get really great conscious access to, our brain gets flooded with happy dopamine. And as a result, we do more of what we're good at and we do more of what makes us happy, which means that sometimes when we overdo it, we can get a little one sided. And in business, this is where you want to kind of have your superpowers balanced a little bit. And again, this is also in the handout for those of you who want to follow along. So if you're an efficient structure entrepreneur, you're naturally gifted at organizing, segmenting, and achieving goals. I want to invite you to make sure you also leave some room for vulnerability and taking the values and impact on other people around you into account. So basically listen to your clients. This is the company that makes the great product that nobody uses. It's just that it's an efficient product and it's effective and it looks pretty, but nobody wants it, right? So. In your maybe product development stage, which you are really good at, also talk to some customers.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: If you're a precise systems entrepreneur, you're naturally gifted at problem solving, synthesizing and integrating knowledge into elegant solutions. I want to encourage you to also make room for exceptions to the rule, ambiguity and embracing deadlines. Sometimes done is better than perfect. So Mm -hmm. these Entrepreneurs like to fiddle and tweak until it's the best possible thing. And by that time, maybe the market has moved on or requirements or needs have changed. Or maybe they're just tweaking in circles. (laughs) Or you're tweaking in circles. That's the other thing. Stop with the website. It's fine. And that's something I need to hear myself. Okay. <laughs> if you're an empathetic harmony entrepreneur, you're naturally gifted at building bridges and harmonizing and connecting. Make sure you also make room for boundaries, self-interest and detachment. You don't have to act on everyone's feedback. Consider the source. So this for me, this is me talking to myself. Another phrase I had written down that I took out in the end because I thought it might have been too cheeky is, are the feelings you're feeling their feelings or yours? Because we tend to be sponges and we want to make everybody feel good. And it's like, no, you're allowed to feel good too. You deserve to have your needs met as well. And especially for my fellow coaches out there, the client can do whatever they want with the problem. They can even keep it. And last but not least, the personal authenticity entrepreneur, you're naturally gifted at authenticity, congruency, and alignment to a higher vision. I want to encourage you to also make room for a compromise. It doesn't always have to be 100% pure. And if it's pure for three weeks and then it changes, that's okay too. And also don't ignore the practical concerns of running a business. And I know you've had somebody else on to talk about money and budgeting and all of that. So that might be a good linky up, follow up. Yes.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Listen to all of them. I love that. That's amazing. And when I listen to it, though, I feel like I identify a little bit with each and every one of them. Again, I feel like I'm repeating myself now, but like depending on the day, I feel like I could be a little bit of each of those for sure. So let's talk a little bit more about the resource that you've been referring to. Hopefully some people have already hit pause and gone and grabbed it because we're linking it in the show notes but for those who haven't sure this is basically
1: a write up of what i talked through here it gives you an overview of the four entrepreneurial types a little bit of encouragement to embrace the type that you have and then also using your superpower what your superpower is and then you know the reminder of how you can balance it and also in the resources and next step section again because i Kind of shifted my business model around to mainly do one-on-one coaching. I want to invite your listeners. If you heard anything that interested you, where you want to go deeper for yourself, there is a free, no call, no obligation uh, call that you can schedule with me and we'll chat. I always love meeting new people. And this is kind of a new thing. So exclusive. You heard it here first. If you'd like to find your best fit type preferences but one-on-one coaching isn't your thing or maybe it's not in the budget right now, I do have a self-discovery course online at Udemy. There is a link in the handout and I checked earlier today. I don't have influence over the pricing of Udemy and they run sales all the time so you could actually get my course for 11.99 or you could wow at the time of recording, but you know, do go check it out. It's definitely a very economical way. Let's say I mean, if I may toot my own horn, it's better than a free test online because the free tests online, I've taken a lot of them and I never land on my actual type. So you want to really take those with a grain of salt. Anyway, so you can take the course and then book that free session with me and then we can discuss. And I hope you found this helpful.
0: Yes, absolutely. I'll make sure that I link up to both of those things in the show notes for the price of a couple of fancy frappuccinos. You can enroll in your course. I think I'm going to do that myself because I've only ever done the online versions. And you have me intrigued. I feel like there's this whole gap of knowledge for me that, you know, I haven't been able to leverage till now. So we'll be sure to link up all of those things in the show notes. My final question is always what is one thing that listeners can do an action step that they can do? I feel like you've already covered it with the Udemy course, but is there anything else like one thing that listeners could do to sort of get a giant step further into knowing more intimately who they are and how they can leverage their strengths?
1: What I would say is you already know what's right for you. Honor your preferences. You're in business for yourself because you want to do it your way. So don't get distracted by how other people do theirs. I think it was Roosevelt who said comparison is the thief of joy. So go with your energy because life is hard enough right now. Do the stuff that you like. Know thyself, love thyself, and the rest is gravy.
0: I love that. I hope everyone takes that advice today. Doris, thank you so much for generously sharing your knowledge and your expertise and even a little bit about yourself and also for giving us some insight into how these tools can help us in our businesses. I really appreciate you and I thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. I totally have a tab open right now on my laptop to sign up for Doris's course and I have her free resource bookmarked as well. I am totally going to take her up on that discovery call too. I love how Doris approaches the topic, like your personality is your superpower that can be used to your advantage. Her tips are practical and you can implement them today and see a real difference in your personal and professional life. Knowing yourself intimately and using that knowledge to leverage your strengths will help you honor your preferences, which is the whole reason you became an entrepreneur in the first place. Am I right? I hope that you enjoyed this episode and thank you so much for joining us today and week after week. And until next week, Workshop Warriors, let that personality of yours shine so bright you'll need SPF 50 protection. Okay, that was lame. (laughs)